church. I know we're in the middle of winter, and if you're like me, you're dreaming of summer weather. But hey, things are starting to heat up on the hill. February will be buzzing with events you need to mark on your calendar. Speaking of calendar, our website now has a calendar you can download and put on your refrigerator. You can find it under the events tab. You will also see some changes to our website in the next few weeks. We're excited to announce that our Valentine's Dinner will be Saturday, February 17th at 6 p.m. Sign-ups are now open for this event. Space is limited, so don't delay. You can see Bobby after church at the next step desk. Or you can use your cell phone camera to use the QR code on the screen right now. Or you can always go to our website and sign up there. This year, there will be a comedian entertaining all you lovely couples, along with a great meal. We have no shortage of cool fundraising events that will help our team going to Guatemala this year. Get ready for a run-through of events. Coming up on February 2nd, Glow Pickleball is happening. And there's also a three-on-three -three basketball tournament on January 27th. February 10th, we host a pickleball tournament. Daddy-daughter date night will be February 16th. For anyone that wants to have bragging rights on the best chili, there will be a cook-off on February 22nd. Parents of elementary students, this Sunday during the 11 o'clock service, we have a jumpstart session. Jumpstart is how we educate our kids on baptism and what it means to make a decision for Jesus. If your child is participating in this session, please make sure that Ashton is aware. If you are new to Shelby Christian, or maybe you're visiting for the first time today, stop by our I'm New Wall located in the lobby. We have a gift for you. We would love to meet you and get connected. Well, it's time to worship, and now you know the latest happening on the hill. So let's go. Good morning, church. We stand to your feet. I hope you're warm. If you're not, just give it a few minutes. Your blow will be flowing here soon. place to hide this weary soul Oh, it's all the 
you to this place. May your spirit rest. Rest upon us, Lord. As the spirit was moving over the water, spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the spirit was moving over the water, spirit come
thank you for being in this place, God. We love you. You can be seated. that are winning cold don't mean nothing to us right right let's go let's go let's go and got the the fireside people down here you watch my social media you'll figure it out okay um we are so glad you guys are here but before we get started today i gotta find him sadder where'd you go dude Oh, he's over here. See, you guys didn't get to hear this announcement. I think it was last week. Did you text me right before I started? Here's the deal. Like last week, right before I got up to preach second hour, my boy texts me and says, hey, by the way, that thing we started praying about back in August, that some of these international students and track athletes at Cumberland University would come to know Jesus. Three more got baptized last Sunday. Yeah. That's 10 this season. 10 this season. Guys, they are setting national running records as well as leading people to Jesus. That's kind of what it's all about, isn't it? That's kind of what it's all about. And so with that said, I'm talking about track. So and my boy has promised not to correct me if I mess this up in any way, all right? Because like you would think, you would think in track, the number one goal is to run fast. You would think that, right? And, and in some events like a sprint or just a race that's true but put these little three foot three foot close to three foot things out in front of you and you better be able to get over them right you better be able to hurdle the hurdles because just running fast through a hurdle can be painful i would assume okay all right but also then if you just put this is so this is so little this weighs, how much does this weigh? Like an ounce? Like, I mean, it's like weighs nothing. But this is absolutely critical in a relay race. In fact, it doesn't matter how fast you run if you drop the baton. Doesn't matter. And for the last couple decades, the United States 4x100 men's relay team hasn't done great with this. In fact, they have had a about 20-year run of dropping the baton a lot. I mean, in major competitions. Like in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, a U.S. runner dropped the baton during the exchange. Race over, no gold medal. 2009 World Championships, two runners exchanged the baton before the passing zone started. The team was disqualified. Not only do you have to pass the baton, you got apparently you got to do it in the right place. 2011, an American runner collided with a British runner in another lane and they fell down. No medal. 2015, the U.S. team made the exchange after the passing zone and again was disqualified. Since 2005, the team had either not finished or been disqualified because of baton exchange failure six times. Understand your assignment. (laughs) Come 
on. You know, you, you got one thing to do. Well, two, I guess. Run fast, exchange the baton. But understand your assignment. If, if there's a way to blow an exchange, the U.S. men's 4 by 100 team has done it over the last couple of decades. Now, as Christ followers, as Christ followers, how's that apply to us? As Christ followers, we are called to pass the baton. Not only, not only in retirement, like when the race is kind of over for us, but we're called to pass the baton as we go through this race of life. And one way we pass the baton is by equipping other people, other runners, to be able to eventually win the race. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is one of Paul, the Scotty Paul, who was converted to Christianity after being a slayer of Christians. And he, the majority of the New Testament are letters he wrote to churches that he helped start who were in difficulty and and Ephesus was a tough place <coughs> excuse me Ephesus was a tough place that he would later send his young disciple Timothy to. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Ephesus had all kinds of like, there were some good people there trying to do the right thing. But then there were some, there were some really messed up cultural things. They, they were living like in an almost in an anti-God culture, anti-following Jesus culture. And, and so Ephesus is a tough place. It's a lot like where we find ourselves today in many times. And so Paul wrote this letter that's called Ephesians in the Bible. It's about two thirds of the way through the New Testament. He wrote this letter to encourage people. And in chapter four, particularly, he talks a lot about equipping people who say they are Christians because the whole book of Ephesians is written to Christians who are struggling, but they are followers of Christ. And he said, here's what you need to do. Check this out. Verse 11. So Christ himself, he reminds him, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. These are all leaders, leaders, right? When you say, by, by those titles. They are people who are leaders in this new thing called the church that's there. They've got these titles that give them somewhat of a position of leadership. And so he, gave, he reminds me, God gave all these people to do this. Look at verse 12. To equip his people. Now, stop. He talks about what God gave these people, the leaders to do, to you guys, the church. All right. He, he said the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, they are not given to do everything. They are not given. They can't do everything. It's impossible for them to do everything. What they are given for is to equip you guys, equip you guys for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so this whole thing we're going to talk about today is all about equipping because we're in this series, this year-long series called Let's Go. And this particular part of the series is Let's Go on Mission. And last week we talked about the first part of our, of our mission was to reach people for Jesus. And the second part is to equip them. Equipping is all about motivating for success. So let me ask you right now, think of, don't raise, don't, don't raise your hand in your mind and in your heart. Answer this question. How you doing passing the baton? How you doing passing the baton right now? Do you know who you're passing the baton to? Do you have somebody, a child, those of you that are parents, that's where it starts. A child that you are passing the baton of faith to. How you doing passing the baton? A spouse, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, somebody that you've met here at church that you're just trying to bring along. How you doing passing the baton? Because equipping is all about motivating for success. So let's go. That's what this series is all about. Let's go. We exist, Shelby Christian Church exists to reach people for Jesus and equip them to be fully devoted, successful, fully devoted, successful disciples, followers of Jesus, ready to impact their world for Jesus. And today we're going to talk about our motivation to equip people to be successful disciples. We, I think we're successful when we do these three things. Check this out. These three things. First of all, we have to, if we're going to be successful, first thing we have to do is accept Christ. All right? Stop right there. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, man, I am so glad you're here. And, and if you're just now maybe even starting a journey, trying to figure out if this all makes sense to you, 
I'm so glad you're here today. If you've got questions, if something comes up and it doesn't make a bit of sense to you, find that person that you came with and ask or come find me or one of our other staff people. Somebody will point them out. Go ask Bradley. He, he's, a, he's a champion coach. Just find somebody. Find somebody and ask those questions because this is where your journey starts. Your journey really starts with accepting Christ with accepting Christ and allowing him, allowing him to be your savior. That's easy. That's, that's the easy part of all this, okay? That's the easy part of all this, all right? Because when you accept Christ as your savior, guess what? You gain. You win. You're winning. You, you, you're gaining eternal life. That, that's part of the equation. And that's the easy part. In fact, I would, I would say that like, if you stop and ask people, hey, let's, okay, let's just say there is a heaven and a hell. Let's just assume there is. If there is a heaven and a hell and you're going one of them, when you die, would you rather go to heaven or hell? It's an easy answer, right? <laughs> Doesn't it take a lot of thought to get the, yeah, I know which one I want. Do you want to be saved? Yes. All right. So Jesus as Savior is easy. Jesus as Lord, uh, that's where the rubber hits the road. Because when you say, I want, I want to accept Christ, I'm accepting him as Savior and Lord. The Savior is easy. The Lord means you're giving up everything. You're allowing him to make your choices. You're following his way of doing things. You're making him your coach, and it doesn't matter what you've thought before, you're going to follow what Jesus tells you to do. But that's where the journey starts. That's part of being successful. It's accepting Christ. The second part is to grow in Christ. Is, is to understand that more. Is to understand more of what that really means, what that looks like. You know, it, going back to my, to my uh, track analogy, Okay, yes, this is a critical piece of it, but listen to me, listen to me. Never was on a track team in my life, never coached this sport, but I know enough about it to know this. If you can't run, you don't need to worry about this, okay? If you can't run, you will never get to hold one of these unless you're the manager and the coach tells you to bring one out, all right? So it starts with the beginning of, okay, yeah, I, I like being on, I want to be on the team, I want to accept Christ, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But then you've got to grow, and you've got to say, okay, here's what I'm good, I need to learn, and if I want to run in a relay, I need to learn how to exchange this right. And, and growing in Christ is much the same way. You've got to accept him as Savior and Lord, but you need to then continue to grow in him. That's what's going to make lordship even doable, much less easier. It's going to make it doable because as you grow in him, you're going to understand why he wants what he wants out of you and out of us, okay? And the third thing to be successful is to accept Christ, to grow in Christ, and then to lead others to Christ. See, this whole thing is we are trying to equip people to be fully devoted disciples. This is going to rock some worlds. But you are not a fully devoted disciple unless you're doing this. Now, it doesn't say that you're always going to have success in this, but if you are not planting seeds, if you are not trying to lead people to Jesus, if you are not trying to introduce people into the race and get them in the race, then you're a fully devoted churchgoer, not a fully devoted disciple. Disciples are followers. Disciples do what Jesus has told them to do. And Jesus told us to make more disciples. To make more disciples. And so here's our formula for success. To accept Christ, to grow in Christ, and to lead others to Christ. So let's break those down, okay? We need to be motivated to join the team. How do you get motivated to join something? I get motivated to join something when I see something that I'm like, oh, that looks like fun. I think I'd like to do that. I'd like to be a part of that. You go watch a game. You attend a play. You, you tour a company that makes some kind of widgets. And you're like, that's cool. I'd like to do that. In some way, a person has to develop an interest in being equipped to do something. Okay? See, if, you, if you're terrified of heights, 
there's probably little chance that you want to be a pilot or climb cell towers. That's, that's probably not going to be your chosen occupation. If you hate numbers and math, you probably won't be motivated to become an accountant. Doesn't make any sense. If you don't like physical contact, you probably won't be motivated to play football or hockey. If you don't like the idea of running and sweating, you won't be motivated to participate in track. And you definitely could care less about passing an actual baton because it's not something that appeals to you. But... But when you watch something and there's that little, like, there's that little extra heartbeat, there's that little extra something in there and it's appealing to you, you more than likely want to join. If you are here today and you are married, I'm assuming you've experienced that feeling at some level. Oh, I like the looks of that. And you're motivated to check it out further. And, and, it, and this, this, this life with Christ, we do everything we possibly can to make our worship events appealing to those who have never been to a worship service before. Because there are people that show up here on a somewhat frequent basis as adults who've never been to a worship service before. And... The last thing, the last thing that I can imagine doing as a church is boring someone with the gospel. We need to make it appealing enough for people that have no clue. Maybe that's you today. And none of what I'm saying really makes a whole lot of sense. But you're going to leave here and you go, music was really good and I at least didn't fall asleep because that big guy might start yelling at any time. All right? So you're going to come back. You're going to check it out again. Your kids are going to love what happens with them over in their children's ministry. And they're going to be talking about it this week. And so you're going to come back. And the more you come back, the more appealing it becomes. So we do everything we can. We do everything we can to make our worship services appealing to those who may never have been to worship service before while still honoring God with the things that we sing and the things that we say. So here's a question for you. Would someone be motivated to join Team Jesus by the way you participate or talk about Team Jesus? Would that be motivating to someone else to say, I I want a little bit of what you got. Tell me about that. Anyone can dream, but are they motivated to pay the price for their dreams? See, if you can, you can, You can be that kid in elementary school, first grade, and the teacher says, what would you really like to do in life? And you you could say, I'd love to to compete in the Olympics. Okay, cool. Cool, that sounds great. That's a dream. But are you willing to train for two or more hours a day for 20 years to be able to see that dream? You know, what about, I want to be a doctor. You know, that's one of the answers that you get all the time when the first graders are asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. Okay, great. That's awesome. Are you willing to go to school and study harder than anyone else does because your classes are harder and then go four, six, or eight years longer than most people go to college? You willing to do that? Well, then great. Maybe you really want to be a doctor and, and you're motivated to do that. What about following Christ? Last week we talked about, what did Jesus say? If anyone comes after me, he must what? He must deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. Still motivated? You still interested in that game? Why would anyone do any of these things? Oftentimes it's because they've seen something in somebody that they want for themselves. So what are you showing the world that would motivate them to join Team Jesus? That's where this Accept Christ starts. And if you've already done that, that's part of your, that's part of your responsibility as a follower of Christ is to present this life in Christ in such a way that people are motivated to join Team Jesus and to play for King Jesus and everything they do. Second thing is you got to be motivated to improve your skills. You, you need to get better and better. You need to grow in Christ. Once you're on the team, you should be motivated to get better and to help others get better. 
Kim and I were sitting around talking this week about people that we've seen pass the baton in things other than other than track and field. She mentioned my pastor, my pastor Wally, who as a kid, as a teenage boy at Moorhead State University at a conference sat outside with me and challenged me to think about going into ministry. And I looked in his face and LOL'd before LOL was a thing. No way. No way I'm going to do that. But Wally kept encouraging and kept presenting things. And I look at Wally and Barbara's life, and they've had their own tragedy in their life. But their son, Bart, and family are ministering in a great way in Las Vegas and through an organization called Intentional Churches that we've worked with here at Shelby Christian. The interesting thing is they also have a son-in-law named Bart, Bart and Bart. Their son-in-law, Bart, married their daughter, Jody, and they have... Uh, they have an incredible ministry in McDonough, Georgia. But also, during the time that Wally was leading our church in Lexington, 30 men were ordained into the ministry. That's passing the baton. And that's passing the baton well. And that doesn't even count the number of other uh, women and other people who didn't actually go into like this kind of ministry, but they're doing ministry. Or women that married pastors, they, they passed the baton well. You guys know Billy Graham or have heard of Billy Graham. Billy Graham had five kids. He and his wife had five kids. And Billy Graham's five kids all had like some, most of them had some like stuff in their life. But today, all five of them are leading ministries. He passed the baton well. And, you know, for, don't even think about ministry. If, if you're a football person, does the name Manning mean anything to you? Archie's the old guy. He was the All-American quarterback at Ole Miss. He had a couple of sons that you know pretty well probably and heard their name, Peyton and Eli. They, they were all right. They got a really great Monday night football show that I love to watch. Um, but you know who Cooper is? Cooper's the oldest son. Cooper got hurt and couldn't play college football because he, he could have died doing that. But Cooper has a son named Arch, who is one of the best up-and-coming quarterbacks in America. They passed on the tradition. They passed the baton of that will. The Bible's full of examples of leaders who discipled the next person to carry the baton. In the Old Testament, there's this guy named Moses. And Moses is called by God. He's the one that goes to, to, to Pharaoh and, and leads his people out. And a bunch of men are doing a year-long Bible study with me online on version. And we just, this week, we just read about the, the people coming out of Pharaoh and leaving the bondage and the plagues and all that. So that guy Moses, he, Moses had a father-in-law named Jethro. Sharp dude. Jethro was watching Moses, his son-in-law, and he's like, son, you're going to wear yourself out. You need to start sharing some of the burden, and you need to start handing some stuff off to other people. And, and so Jethro encouraged Moses to start equipping other people to be able to do what he was doing. And so Moses began discipling some people, and one of the guys he discipled was a young guy named Joshua. Moses discipled him to be the next leader. Here's what he did. He, he selected Joshua to lead the army into battle against the Amalekites. It's in Exodus chapter 17. He took Joshua with him up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. But then Joshua watched Moses lose his cool and smash the commandments. And, and then Joshua was witness to the Holy Communion, or the reunion, uh, as Moses shared with the Lord and guarded the tent of meeting. Moses was helping to ensure the following generation would love and to fear God. That's what he was doing by discipling Joshua. The only problem was, Joshua ended up being a great leader. And, and then he was the one that, <clears throat> he was the one that actually led the people into the promised land, crossed the Jordan River, won the battle of Jericho. A lot of us know that part of him. He ended up being a great leader. He won many battles. He stood strong. He told the people, you guys got to make your own choices. But as for me and my family, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He stood firm on that. It sounded so good. Here was where Joshua messed up. Joshua didn't do anything to invest in the next generation leaders. 
He didn't disciple or equip the next leader to come after him like Moses had done with him. And so when Joshua died, there were no godly leaders. And you can read in the book of Judges in the Old Testament where everyone did what was right in their own eyes because they hadn't been discipled to really follow the Lord. So Moses did disciple, did equip, did lead Joshua. The problem was Joshua didn't pass the baton properly. He dropped the baton. Elijah was a prophet that we read about in the book of First, Second Kings. He, Elisha was the young guy coming in, and, and as Elisha's coming up and Elijah's uh, discipling him, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit to become his, and to become his successor. Successor, He said, would you give me a little bit more? And, and, and Elijah prayed that he would, and God blessed that. You know, this is, this is incredible. He asked for a double portion. Guess how many miracles Elijah performed? Fourteen. Guess how many miracles Elisha performed? Twenty-eight. God's a God of specificity. And I'm proud that I got that word out right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> After Elijah was, was, was swooped up into heaven. That's cool. Elijah's this guy in the Bible. never died. He never died. When it was his time to go, this, uh, he was just swooped up in a whirlwind into heaven. But Elisha was there and he watched it. And as Elijah goes up to be with God, his cloak drops. And Elisha goes over and picks it up. And, and then it became like Moses' rod to him. And when he had that cloak, he could do amazing things. In fact, when he struck the Jordan River with the cloak, the river parted. Just like when Moses raised the rod and the Red Sea parted. And when the sons of the prophets of Jericho saw this, they knew that Elijah had the blessing and followed him as their spiritual leader because Elijah passed the baton well to Elisha. Paul comes to know Christ the day on the road to Damascus. Barnabas takes him and disciples him for a little bit and then hands him off to Peter to be trained. But then not, not long after that, Paul actually begins the process of passing the baton to a young guy named Timothy. He's selecting him. Paul chose Timothy to do to work with him in ministry. He trained Timothy, equipped him to do ministerial tasks. He empowered him, told him, you're going to be the one that I'm going to count on, and I'm going to send you to this place called Ephesus, and I'm going to trust you there. And Paul employed Timothy in a challenging work environment uh, and developed effectiveness, and then he just continued to communicate with him, to communicate the value of their relationship, and most of all, their relationship with Christ. Come to think of it, there's another, another pretty good discipler in the New Testament. His name was Jesus. He spent three years with 12 guys, equipping them and empowering them and discipling them to be able to carry on after them. He spent time with them. He taught them. He showed them how to live in a way that honored God. Jesus' mentoring of the disciples was very deliberate. It was purposeful, and, and he invested in their future. And in that New Testament book of Ephesians that we were looking at, Paul is doing the very best that he could to equip, to equip Timothy to be able to go and to help out. But in that book, and we read a little bit of chapter 4 to start with, but in chapter 4 and verse 1, here's what Paul tells the church to do. He says, you guys need to walk in a way worthy of your calling. Think about that. Did any of you that are adults now, did any of you have a parent that that, that first time you took the car out when you were 16 or 17, whatever, did you have a, a dad who, who said something like, remember who you are? Remember whose you are? Remember that name that's on your license? Basically what they were saying was, don't embarrass us. Don't do something stupid out there. Act like you've been trained right. Act like you've been discipled right. That's really what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4. He's walking in a way that's worthy of your calling. Don't embarrass Christ. Live in such a way that doesn't embarrass Christ. What he did for you and, and how he saved you. Walk in a way that's worthy of your calling. 
And, and then as he continues to disciple the, the church there, verse 12, he, he talks about building up the body of Christ with your life. Do things in your life that actually build people up, not tear people down. Do things in your life that, that make people better, that make people better. You know, there, there's this, there's this uh, uh, interesting stat that they're keeping in college basketball these days. It, it's a plus or minus thing. It talks about how many points plus or minus the team did when you were on the court. When you were on the court. And it's interesting that some of the, some of the players that on certain teams that don't play as many minutes, their plus or minus is higher than ones who are out there a lot. And coaches watch that and they make adjustments because if your plus or minus is plus and it's a high plus, any coach knows, I gotta figure out a way to get them on the floor more. I gotta figure out how to get them in the game more. Then build the body up, build others up when you're out there. And, and then verse 15 says, you keep growing up. See, part of what we need to understand in the Christian life of equipping is that we never, we, until we're with Jesus, we will never be like Jesus and we will never stop growing. We need to keep growing. One of the things I hear every time I, I go, go to a conference on leadership is that great leaders are lifelong learners. They just keep learning. They just keep growing up themselves. The best analogy that I've ever heard <clears throat> goes all the way back 40 years for me to college. It, it, was, it was in a ministry class, and it was actually quite honest. It was Dennis's, Dennis Dove's uncle that was teaching my class that told me this illustration for the first time. He, he said, imagine you're trying to teach somebody to row a canoe. Here's how you do it best. The best way you teach someone to roll a canoe is to both of you get in the canoe and you tell them, just tell that person, just sit still, you watch, and I'll row, I'll do. And then after a little while, you tell them, hey, you help while I lead. And then after a while, you tell them, you take the lead and I'll help you. And finally, you get to the stage where you say, you do it, I'll watch. I'll, I'll watch and grade you. Well, is, is the process over then? That's a good process. But the process isn't over until we both go teach someone else. If you really love the, the sport or the idea of canoeing, you just keep teaching other people. Okay, you're good, you're good. I'll go teach somebody else. What if we did that in a Christian life? What if this is how we walk through the Christian life? I do and you watch. You just watch me. Just watch me. And then I do and you help me. And, and then you do it and I'll help you. And then you do it and I'll watch and make sure you got it. And then let's go both do that with somebody else and do it over and over. That's discipleship. That's reproduction. That's what we're called to do. And the final thing is we're motivated to invite others to join the team. The most important part of being a disciple, as I said earlier, is reproducing yourself in the life of other disciples. Let me ask you, who's your one? You ever heard that before? Here's how you should define that. Who's your one is talking about the person that you want to introduce to the one. That you want to put in front of the one. A disciple is a, a follower and a servant. Please understand this. <clears throat> the church has failed for the last several decades when it comes to discipleship. Because we have mistakenly equated discipleship with just studying the Bible. Don't get me wrong. Studying the Bible is part of the process it's part of that study is great, but study without reproduction is not discipleship or disciple making. It's study. We need to be wrung out. We need to get people in the boat, train them how to row the boat, and then say, come on, let's go get somebody else and train them how to row the boat. That's what we are called to do. Check out what, it, what Paul wrote to the Roman church. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Talks about how we live our life. 
Some of you know this passage very well. Listen to how it reads. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I beg you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them, let your bodies, let your life be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you will be able to learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Just follow God. Follow God each and every step, and one step will take you to the next step. And as you're doing that, you need to invite others to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. That's what we're all called to do. So let me ask you this question. Let me, I, in fact, get your phone out right now. If you don't have it out, get your phone out. Go to the notes. You know what I'm talking about. Open up a new note, and in that new note, I want you to list the top five people that you are praying will become your one in 2024. Some of you probably already know at least one or two. Now, but here's why I want you to list five. Here's why I want you to list five. There's a good chance that number one, whoever it is, just isn't ready yet. They haven't seen something that's appealing to them yet. But number three may. <clears throat> number three on your list may actually be number one on God's list. But there, all these people are going to be people you know. So just pray about them and say, God, you put me in front of the one you want me to go after right now. And, and, and these are five people I know that could easily be my one this year. I want, you, I want you to, if you can't finish it right now real quick, today. Before you go to bed tonight, I want you to have on your phone the name of five people that you're just going to pray, God, would you, would you put me in front of them in a way that this year, 2024, I can lead in such a way that they might be drawn to follow you, to follow me as I am following you, to really think about that and make that your goal because reproduction is the key. And for reproduction to be pure, it has to be based on the original. For discipleship to be pure, it has to be based on the purest. That's why Paul tells us to imitate him as he imitates Jesus. Jesus is our goal. And the only way that we can do that purely is to study. Here's what Paul told his young disciple Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. Work hard. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Work hard. Know what is pure so you can teach what is pure. And be careful that you are studying the pure source. Because one of the other things he said in the very next chapter of this second letter that he wrote to Timothy is all scripture, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work and not drop the baton. After many years of dropping the baton, in fact, 20 years, last year, 2023, in the World Athletic Championship, the men's 4 by 100 team won the gold medal. They won the gold medal, and they're going into this year's Olympics as one of the favorites to do that again. They figured out. They now understand their assignment. They're doing better passing the baton. Let's just hope that they do it well this year when, it, when, the, when the game's on the line, the gold medal's on the line. I just wanted to assure you this. It doesn't matter how many times you've dropped the baton. Victory's possible. Victory, you can figure it out. And victory is possible. Even if you drop the baton before, pick it up and keep running. Part of equipping is helping people understand their assignment. Run fast. When it comes to Christ, run fast. Pass the baton well.
Because the bottom line is, it doesn't matter how fast you are if you drop the baton. We're, we're going to ask you to run right now. We're going to ask you to run right now. Some of you need to not walk, but you need to run in a movement to surrender. Bobby and Jason will be over here by the baptistry. I'll be right down here. If you need someone to talk to, we, the three of us, we'd love to talk to you. We'll connect you with someone else who can talk with you, pray with you. And if you don't know what that next step looks like, then we can help that. Some of you need to run to surrender. Some of you need to run to recommit. Because quite honestly, you have dropped the baton. There's been things that maybe only you know about, but you know, I dropped the baton. I didn't, I didn't understand my assignment. And you need to recommit. You, you need to bow. You need to pray. You need to kneel. You need to just recommit to God. And, and some of you just need to run to give and to receive. To give of your tithes so that the world might know and to do that in our black boxes. And to receive, to receive the reminder of what Christ did for you as you take communion and you go get that. So we're going to worship. We're going to worship right now. Lights are going to come down almost all the way, just enough that you can see to move. But would you right now, would you stand up and let's move together.
you to bow your head. And I want to talk for a minute about what we just sang. See, Egypt was this awful place for 400 years for God's people to be enslaved and in bondage. You may never have been to Africa, much less Egypt. Egypt, much less Africa. But every one of us in here has an Egypt. We have that place where we were in bondage. And you say, well, I didn't have that because my life's always been great. Well, good for you. Praise God. Praise God if you were raised in that kind of home. Praise God if you never went through some of those things. Be thankful for that. Praise Him for that. But for most of us, there was an Egypt. And what we just sang was, you stepped into my Egypt. See, that's what happened when God left heaven in the form of Jesus and came to earth. He stepped into our Egypt. He stepped into our situation. He came and lived in our neighborhood for a while, felt what we feel, experienced what we experience. He stepped into our Egypt. And then he died there. He, he took the... He took the pain and the punishment that was meant for us and was because of us and he died there. But he didn't stay in Egypt. Three days after he died, he rose to go back to the promised land, to go back to heaven. And he's waiting for us. See, on the cross, Jesus was equipping us for eternity by removing our sins. But by the empty tomb, he was passing the baton to an assured victory for all who would follow after him. Let's take a couple moments of silence. God, thank you for stepping into our Egypt, into our bondage. Thank you for removing the chains, allowing us to be clean so that we can truly step into the promised land for eternity with you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together. Thanks for getting out in the cold today.
Thanks for coming. Share the message, share the dream. A couple things real quick. We're having a party here on Tuesday night for everyone who either was baptized or became a new member of the Shelby Christian last year. Tuesday night, if you haven't signed up, come find one of the staff so we can get you signed up for that. It's Tuesday night. We are going to have it over in the stew, not in this room. So uh, the new member party will be over in the stew Tuesday night at 6.30. So let us know if you're coming. And some of you have been asking about the swag, like the, the sweatshirt that I wore last week and some other stuff. We've got... Uh, New swag, it's going to be going on the website, but for today, if you're really like, some of you are like dying, there are forms back on the table back there. It tells you all about them. You can go back there and grab a form, get your, your new swag from the hill, and share the, use it to share the message of Christ. Get out of here. Go love God, love people, and watch Him change the world. We'll see you guys. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go!